Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. How happy are you? How happy are you? I would hope that after hearing our kids talk this morning and uh, share the Christmas message that you might be feeling really, really happy. But if you're not, then uh, that's okay. We're going to get a little bit happier today. I have a scale here on my TV. How happy are you? Now, one would be like, I'm extremely happy. Like, that's what I look like here in the Christmas season. That's what I'm looking like. So are you one over here or are you over there? Like number 10, Mr. Grinch, extremely unhappy. I want you to rate yourself on that scale. Find yourself on that scale. Give yourself a number. And then we're going to do a little experiment. Are you ready? We're going to have fun today. Now, we asked our online audience to share with us what makes them happy. And these were some of their responses. Darrell, who is one of our board members, says, time with family, jokes, lots of food, and laughter. I can relate, Darrell. Emily says, freshly brewed coffee and pancakes. Okay. And C says, well, she likes the ocean, the salty air, and walks on the sand in the beach. Anyone feeling a little bit more happy? I'm going to try this little experiment. You ready? I have a bunch of images to show you, and I want to hear whether these images make you happy. So if you're in the room, you're going to ooh. You're going to ah. You're, I'm going to hear that these things make you happy. If you're online, you're going to throw some of those thumbs up or let us know in the chat what pictures resonate with you. You ready? This is the first one. Green lights all the way home. As you're driving home for, okay, so that makes you happy. Okay, very good. What about this next one? I asked the staff, and this was Pastor Stephen's favorite. Freshly cut grass, he said. Freshly cut grass is what makes Pastor Stephen happy. What about this one? Baby elephants. Ah, uh, see? If I had a favorite animal, it would be an elephant. Actually, I do, and it is an elephant. And there is nothing cuter. I wish I had like a video. You probably, we would just be able to end the teaching now after we've seen the kids and then baby elephants. Okay, next one. Coffee, sit it around a fire, warm beverage, good book. Okay, a little bit. There's not many readers in this room. I'm a reader. This is, this is the image that gets to me. Next one. Okay, we got some dog lovers. I wonder if I had put a cat picture up there, what we would have heard, but some dog lovers. Okay, next one. What about, oh, I got some claps. What about watching... Old videos or movies that you watched as a kid, now in your adult years, maybe surrounded by some kids that you love. Okay, next one. This is one I like. Think of it. The snow is falling in Ontario. You are cold in Toronto. And then all of a sudden, a plane takes you somewhere south to enjoy the winter on a beach with a sunset on the sand. Okay, next one. Now, maybe you are the one making the cookies. Maybe someone is making them for you, but freshly homemade cookies at Christmas time. Next one. Some of you are going to like this. Yeah? 
after last game, I don't know, it could, could be happening. The Maple Leafs winning the Stanley Cup or your team winning the Stanley Cup. I know Pastor Jonathan is not happy down there. No, his head is shaking. Next one. Have you ever been at the airport and saw someone reuniting at the airport? Is there anything happier? If that's been you, I'm sure that you have enjoyed this. Watching somebody reunite with someone that they love, maybe for a long time that they haven't seen, maybe that's going to be you this Christmas. If it is, I hope you have a really great holiday with those that you love. What about this one? Is there anything better than that first morning stretch or holding a very newborn baby? Well, let's see. How did my experiment work? If we put that scale back up on the... Are you on the same place? Did you move even a little bit? Are you more happy than you were just a few moments ago? If you find yourself a little bit more happy, the reason is that because our happiness is affected by outside influences. Simply put, we feel happier when our circumstances and our environments are filled with things that we love and enjoy. See, it's fairly easy to raise your happiness meter, but did you know there's a very big difference between happiness and joy? Happiness is an emotion that can come and go, but joy is a state of being regardless of our present circumstances or situations. Another dictionary reference states that joy is being a steady and continuing presence regardless of our present situation. And it's really important for us today to distinguish between joy and happiness. And so I've created a simple little chart to help us navigate today's teaching. The first one is this. Happiness is affected by our circumstances. I just taught you that. Happiness is is about our circumstances. Now, when I'm driving on the 401, I very rarely ever feel happy. But when I drive on the 407, I feel happy. Second one, it's dependent on our other emotions. It's actually dependent on the presence or the absence of our other emotions. See, sadness and anxiety, studies tell us, can chase happiness away. But awe and eager anticipation can invite happiness in. If you're going to tell your kids you're going to get them a puppy for Christmas, I guarantee they're going to be instantly happy. The third one, happiness is determined by life season. So depending on what season I am in life determines if I'm happy or I'm unhappy. Joy is different though. Joy is unaffected by our circumstances. See, I very rarely feel happy driving down the 401. I already told you that. But that 407, oh, I can feel instantly happy being on that. It's independent of our emotions. This past week, Skip's Peppa passed away. And so it's been a very unhappy time in our family. Uh, Our home is filled with grief and sadness as we navigate the loss of someone that we really love. But here's the difference. Our home is also filled with incredible joy as we're talking about Peppa and all the memories we have with him, and how much we loved him. See, grief and joy can actually happen at the same time, even though happiness and grief often cannot. The third one is this. Joy is determined by its source. It's not determined by what is going on. 
It's determined by who is in our lives. Think about a graduation ceremony. At a graduation ceremony, there can be varying levels of happiness depending on what student you talk to at the graduation ceremony. Some of them are incredibly happy because of their marks, they've won some awards, they're happy to be done school. Others might not feel as happy. They might be nervous about going ahead in the next chapter. They may have not gotten those marks and so they didn't get the awards and their happiness might be a little bit less than that of other students. But the difference, though, is that joy that's happening in the stands with the parents and the grandparents, they're all experiencing the same level of joy. Because it doesn't matter that their student is receiving an award or got really great marks or being honored. Their joy is directed at a person. They are proud of who that student is. Friends, happiness will come and go in your life, dependent on your circumstances, dependent on your situations, but joy is a state of being, regardless of our circumstances. Now, there's a family in our church who so beautifully show how to live a life of joy. When I first arrived at One Church TO a little over two years ago, theirs was one of the first stories that I heard, and every interaction that I have had with them since, they have left me with such inspiration as I've watched them live out this beautiful life of joy. Let's let Keenan and Miriam share their story with us today. My name is Keenan. I'm a family doctor. My name is Miriam. I'm an obstetrician gynecologist. We actually met on labor and delivery. And we've been married for four years. Four great years. I think even before we got married, we both knew we wanted kids. That was part of the reason we I really loved about Keenan. He was always good with children. When we decided to start having children, um, it was a pretty difficult process. We went through a couple of miscarriages, which were tough. Well, the first miscarriage was devastating. When you find out you're pregnant, there's all this anticipation, all this joy of the future, and then that kind of gets taken away. The second time around, you can't help but want to protect yourself a little, and then it still happened anyway, and then you're just left feeling... Like, what is God doing with your life at this point? And then the third baby came along and... When we had the fetal screening test, it was suggested that he had he was going to have Down syndrome. After that, finding out that he has a hole in his heart. The level of fear and worry, what, what Samuel was going to have to go through. I would pray to God and say, you know, if this didn't work out, that's okay. I think it might be easier if you just take this away from me. I'm not sure I can handle this. It was basically about holding on. Holding on, even though all of our knowledge, our medical knowledge, our wisdom, we have no control over what is to come. I was just scared. I was the one that actually saw that ultrasound. I could see he was he was sick. I could see there were things going on. But then his little hand went by on the screen, and I could see five fingers, and I saw that little hand waving, and I was like, I want that baby. The moment that I got to hold him, hold him, was when the floodgates just burst open of joy. I was able to hold him and saying, this is not only is my son, this is the son that God gave us, and I love him so much. Then we found out, aside from the two conditions that we know of, his Down syndrome, his wholeness heart, we found that there was a long list of other stuff that was going on. We stayed in the hospital for four months. He had a few complications and then the surgeries. And obviously he was in pain, but he would want to play or he would want to read that book or he was curious. 
And that's Samuel. Like, it's so simple, so beautiful in how he expresses joy in life despite what he's going through. But what I've come to realize is Samuel is exactly who God designed him to be. And that is beautiful and perfect. It's more than the idea of us handling stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just more of God changing our hearts in the midst of mm -hmm. what he's given us with Samuel, right? Mm -hmm. Now that he's getting older, he's more expressive and there's so much of this really fun personality coming out of him. So we're actually filming today on Samuel's birthday. It's his second birthday. Okay, so this camera, this camera, this is what we're going to tell you all people. Samuel, happy birthday, happy two years, we love you, we love you all the time, and God loves you very much. Mwah! So Miriam and Keenan, I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. I have seen joy emanate in your life. And thank you for sharing Samuel with us uh, because he is full of joy. Um, and thank you for modeling for so many of us what it, what it means to actually live your life with joy. And so today I'm going to invite you to light the third candle of Advent, which is the joy candle today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Friends, their story so beautifully illustrates for us how joy can be present even in very difficult circumstances and situations of our lives. And there's another story in the Bible that actually helps us understand how this works out, how joy can be present even in the most difficult of circumstances. I, I almost don't even need to read the story today because our kids did such a great job of sharing it with us. But let's turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 4 and read together today. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and she was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a son. She wrapped him in clothes, and she placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's stop right there, rewind the clock a little back, bit back for a moment. The realities of the world at that day were not ideal. In fact, the people of God had been living through 400 years of silence. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this portion that they call the silent years in which God does not speak to anybody. It's radio silence from heaven. There's no prophets, there's no angels, there's nothing. Now, before this time actually started, there had been over 200 prophecies from God uh, promising that he would pro bring them a savior that would rescue them. And then all of a sudden, 400 years of silence. And so, the first angel actually arrives, but he, uh, this angel arrives to a guy named Zachariah. And Zachariah is married to his wife. Her name's Elizabeth, and they're very, very, very old, the Bible tells us. And they're barren. They have never been able to have children. And so when the angel shows up to Zechariah, we read that Zechariah is gripped with fear, which makes sense because it's been 400 years of silence. God has not shown up for any generation in that point. And the angel says to Zechariah, do not be afraid. God has heard your prayers. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son, 
and you are going to name him John. And this baby ends up becoming John the Baptist, who actually prepares the way for the Messiah. Fascinating. Shortly after, an angel appears to a young, engaged girl named Mary. And the Bible tells us she, too, is gripped with fear because, again, for 400 years, God has not spoke. And the message the angel gives to her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, well, that's a lot to take in because she's at just at the beginning of her life. Think about it for a second. She isn't even married yet, and she's not even living with her husband yet, so things could get a tad bit messy here, can't they? And then we read that an angel shows up to Joseph, and the angel gives him the same message. Joseph, your life is about to change. It's not going to go the way that you had planned it. But God is actually going to send the Messiah through not just your family, but your family, Joseph. Friends, do you see a pattern here? Zachariah and Elizabeth, they are too old. Too much time has passed. They would have prepared, preferred that a baby showed up in their younger years. The promise that God is giving them is coming way too late. And then we have Mary and Joseph. They're too young. They're only engaged. They have the whole life ahead of them. It seems that this promise is coming a bit too soon for their life. But for some reason, God is choosing to break his silence and send angels to the most unlikely of people. And then we read that God chooses to send an angel to one more group of people. And this interaction is probably the most surprising of all because Zachariah and Elizabeth and, and Mary and Joseph, like they're in the line of what God might do. But this interaction that we're going to read is wild. It starts in verse 8 and it says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of God shone all around them. And they too were terrified. The angel said again, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this is easily one of the most recognizable passages of scripture. People who have never, ever stepped foot in a church likely have heard this passage quoted somewhere, maybe in a song, maybe in a movie, whatever. And sometimes when we have heard a passage hundreds of times, sometimes we can read it without ever understanding what it's saying. And so today we're going to pause for a moment and we're going to discover simply what's going on in this story. I find three parts of this story simply fascinating, and it's this. And there were shepherds, so shepherds is the first one living out in the fields nearby. And the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for, read that for me, all the people. And so let's start with there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Sometimes I think we get this Christmas story a little bit wrong. Now we picture these beautiful little nativity scenes that we love to decorate our homes in. And you know what? We have at these nativity scenes this like beautiful, calm Mary. Like she just looks fantastic for giving birth. I didn't look like that at all. And we have this silent baby Jesus. Like, look, he's glowing. It's amazing. We got, we got that. You know what we love to do? So then we love to do this. We love to add, bear with me for a second, these three wise men. 
And like the wise men weren't even a part of the Christmas story. Like they didn't even show up, the Bible tells us, until like Jesus was a toddler. But I get why we add them because it's like gold and those are colors of of Christmas. And we have the shepherds showing up and they look fantastic, right? Like so clean, right? And we got some sheep and they're looking pretty good. Like they just went to some sort of sheep spa. We got some animals here, like this donkey. Looks like the best donkey that you could possibly ride on. And then we got some goats and some cows, right? And I get why we present a nativity scene like this. I do, because it looks fantastic in our homes. I get why we show it to our kids, because it helps them understand the Christmas story. But I'm convinced that the first Christmas looked nothing like this. I imagine it more like this. Mary has had the most wildest pregnancy in all of history. She's just a teenager, because that's how old you were in biblical times when you got married. And she has this whole plan ahead of her that she's going to marry this amazing guy named Joseph. He is so known and well-respected in the community. He's handsome. He's kind. The Bible calls him righteous. He comes from this amazing family full of kings. In fact, King David, like the best king of all, was his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. So Mary has this plan for her life, and then all of a sudden, her plan goes out the window because this angel shows up, announces that God is pleased with the way that she lives, and because of that, he's choosing her to give birth to the Messiah who's going to change the world. Cool. And nine months later of wondering what is happening, when God is going to reveal to the rest of the world that she's indeed still a virgin, and uh, the baby that's inside of her is a part of his plan. Then she has to get on this donkey and go on this long journey. And anyone who's ever been pregnant understands that is not a great part of the story. And I imagine she's exhausted. She's weary. Now she's in a dirty building where the animals sleep giving birth. And the baby is here. And Mary's probably waiting for God to show up, to show the rest of the world that this is his plan to fulfill his promise. And I'm sure that a teenage Mary was probably just hoping for somebody to enter that building who was important and who could help solve some of these issues. And who shows up? The shepherds show up. And that must have been the most interesting thing of all. The most interesting part of the entire nativity is the fact that the shepherds show up because shepherds are the most unimportant people in society even though they look really great in our nativity scenes and they looked really great on the stage for us, didn't they? Actually, they were constantly dirty. They spent their entire lives in the fields. And shepherds were poor because their careers didn't make much money. And they were uneducated because you didn't have to go to school to become a shepherd. Like, it was just a trade that was passed down in your family. See, shepherds were the most unconnected individuals that you could find in those days because they spent their days with sheep rather than people. Friends, God was saying something when he decided to announce the Messiah's birth to a group of unimportant shepherds. There are never any throwaway characters. There's not throwaway words. There's not throwaway moments in the Bible. There's an important reason why the shepherds show up and receive a high honor of meeting the newborn king first in all the world. See, by sending the shepherds, God was announcing that Jesus had come for everyone, not just the elite. Now, this past week, I found myself stuck 
in traffic on my way home. Unbeknownst to me, an accident must have happened just as I got on the 401, and Waze wasn't able to uh, update me before I got on there, and so I found myself in gridlock traffic. Anyone ever found themselves gridlock traffic? End of a long day. Oh, some of you. I need to drive with some of you. That's fantastic. I wasn't happy. In fact, I told you, I rarely feel happy driving on the 401. If I were to label my emotions when I'm on the 401, I'd probably often most record these ones. Anxiety, anger, tension, annoyance, impatience, which are very different than the emotions that I experience on the 407. See, on the 407, I feel happy. I feel light. I feel peaceful. I feel calm. Maybe it's the scarceness of no cars around me. Maybe it's the smoothness of the roads compared to the public roads. Maybe it's the fact that I'm gaining minutes of my life just by being on there. But every time I drive on the 407, I feel happy. There's a difference to my days when I'm on the 407 compared to the days on the 401. And there's this easy explanation for it. The people who own and operate the 407, they know that when people feel positive emotions like happiness while driving on it, people are tend to drive on it more and more frequently. You see, the 407 is actually an experience that most of us would prefer because we have this human tendency of loving to feel elite, of feeling important, of feeling special. And the people of God, they were no exception. See, for thousands of years, they had held on to those many promises that God was going to send them a Messiah to rescue them. Because over 200 times, God had promised that he was going to send a Messiah. And he had given them these clues, clues like, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. I'm going to send a king who's going to reign on King David's throne forever. I'm going to raise up a future Messiah from a small town called Bethlehem. And all of these promises would have kept them feeling very important, very chosen, a kind of 407 experience, if you will, which makes the idea of God showing up to the shepherds really fascinating. Now, it's unlikely that the shepherds would have ever heard that an angel had showed up to Zechariah, to Elizabeth, to Mary, to Joseph. So very likely, from their point of view, their understanding, this would have been the very first time that God broke his silence in over 400 years. So it's no wonder that they were filled with fear. I'm sure they never expected in a million years that God would break his generations of silence and show up in their fields. And then not only was he breaking his silence, he was actually making another promise. He said this, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. And there's one part of this verse we need to laser focus on today. And it's this, for all the people. See, this message wasn't just meant for some of the people. It was for all of the people, the rich and the poor, the educated and the uneducated, the old and the young, the shepherds and the kings. I think this is why God chose to use the characters that he did in the nativity story. Zachariah and Elizabeth, because we are never too old to be included in the family of God. Mary and Joseph, because we are never too young to be a part of God's plan. And the shepherds, because everyone 
was now being included in the kingdom of God. See, instead of reigning in a palace, Jesus was born in a stable. Instead of a rescue plan for just the elite, Jesus came to be a pathway for all the people. And while some of them were probably hoping for, probably expecting some, some kind of 407 experience for the select few, God was announcing to these unimportant shepherds that the Messiah was now a highway for everyone. And the angels proclaimed that this is good news of great joy because the Messiah has come for everyone. Friends, this is, what joy, this is how joy illuminates the darkness because it's for everyone. All of a sudden, the lights are shined for everybody. Joy is like the light that shines into every pocket of darkness, illuminating every corner and embracing everybody towards our Savior. Now, the word joy in this passage, it actually comes from the Greek word chara, and it means be calm, all is well. Now, the joy that the angels proclaimed and the joy that God actually encourages us to live in is an active word. See, while happiness in the dictionary is only a noun, it's a person, place, or thing, so it's a thing, uh, joy is a noun and a verb. It has an action. Be calm because all is well. Now, you might look at your life and say, oh, Pastor Jessica, uh, if you knew what I was dealing with at work, if you knew the situation that we are currently navigating at home, if you knew the state of my marriage, if you knew the state of my bank account, you would not declare all is well. But that is not what the angels are saying here, is it? Remember, joy is not determined by outside influences or our circumstances or even our emotions. Joy is determined by our source. And the angels are declaring joy because Jesus is here. Another translation would be joy, all is well because Jesus is here. Because Jesus is here, despite our circumstances, all is well. If Jesus is here, we can be calm because he promises that he is in control. Joy and happiness, very different. Happiness comes and it goes based on our circumstances. Joy is this state of living directed to our source. The truth is that if joy is here, or if Jesus is here, all is well. So my second question for you today is this. Where are you on the joy scale? Can you say, all is well because Jesus is here? Or would you say to me today, all is not well? Friends, if you need to raise your number on this scale, here are two truths that can help you do that. The first is this, joy includes, and the second is joy declares. Mother Teresa once said this, joy is a net of love by which you catch souls. A joyful heart is the inevitable result of a heart that is burning with love. Friends, how we include each other's, how we send, send a message out to the world about who we follow. If, if our circles are inclusive, if we treat our churches kind of like private clubs, the truth is that we are falsely representing our Jesus who declared that he came for all the people. See, the message of Christmas is that everyone is welcomed and embraced by our Messiah. 
Our Messiah did not just come for us. He came to all of us. These are Jesus' words to his followers. This is what he says to us today. I have loved you as the Father has loved me, so remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Friends, joy and love, they go hand in hand. If you want your joy to overflow, then Jesus teaches us we must love one another. And this is actually the heart of the love army here at One Church Geo. We strive to be unignorably good to the world around us so that everyone might see that there's a difference in the way that we live, in the way that we love, even the way that we celebrate Christmas. And so if you want to raise that joy meter in your life, ask yourself this question, who this year can I include in my Christmas? Who can I open up our door to? Who can I pull a chair up for? Who can I share Jesus with by inviting them to join me at One Church TO as we celebrate Christmas? Which leads me to the second way we can increase the joy scale, and it's this. Joy declares. See, we can't ignore that there's this proclamation aspect to the whole Christmas story. The angels show up, They announce that God has sent his son. The Bible says the shepherds go out and they share with everyone what they have seen and heard. The message of joy, this idea that all is well because Jesus is here, spreads like wildfire because people are willing to share what they know. This is what Miriam and Kenan so beautifully did today for us when they shared their story. Their story wasn't easy but they saw God's hand all throughout it. And so they could declare with joy and live with joy that all is well because Jesus is here. They were proclaiming that despite their circumstances, there is great joy to celebrate in their lives. All is well because Jesus is here. Last weekend, our staff and their partners came together and we celebrated Christmas together. That's a picture of us. We are downtown at the Distillery District Winter Market. And you know what? I am so grateful. I know Pastor Jonathan and our team, we are so grateful for a staff team that serves our church family so well. And while we were there, we came upon this group of carolers singing in the crowd in front of us. Now, this is a routine performance. I'm sure they sing multiple times a day. But something different happened on the night that we were there. The moment began, as I'm sure it always does, the lead caroler introduced themselves and the fellow carolers, and then he invited everybody to sing along with them. Now, I imagine what happens is normally the crowd's pretty quiet. These are traditional carols that you would sing in a church, so it's kind of, I'm guessing it's a quiet thing. Uh, What he didn't know, though, was there was a group of 40 individuals in the crowd who are very comfortable singing together, because of course we do it with you every single week. And so as the performance continued, the lead caroler quickly realized and actually vocalized that there was something very different about the group that was standing in front of them. You see, not only were we lending our voices to join them in singing, but the 40 individuals in the crowd that night deeply believed the words that we were singing. Words like this, joy to the world, 
the Lord has come. Let earth receive their king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing about the wonders of his love. Friends, it was easy for us to belt out those words to the crowd of people in the middle of a city that we love because it's true. Jesus' presence in our lives has brought great joy even in the many moments where I have not felt happy. The reason we could sing with such confidence and great hope was because the words that were being projected up on the wall in front of us have already been projected in our lives. We had experienced the joy that we were singing about. Jesus' presence in the world has changed us. All is well because Jesus is here. Friends, when Jesus entered our world on that Christmas over 2,000 years ago, everything changed. All of a sudden, not only the chosen people were going to be a part of the kingdom, but now everyone was invited and embraced into the family of God. See, joy was not for just some. Joy was for all people. And so if you want to raise the joy meter in your life in this season, ask yourself, does a room change when you enter it? Like how our voices change the crowd around us, or how Miriam and Kenan's presence changes every room that they walk into. Is there a marked difference to your life because you have experienced the joy of Jesus? When you walk through difficult seasons in your life, can people note that there is a joy that comes deep within you? As you walk through seasons of grief or mourning or loss, do they say there's something different about you? Can you declare with confidence that all is well, even if it's not, because Jesus is here. Friends, that is how we raise the joy meter in our lives, by including others and allowing our lives to actually become lights for other people. And then by allowing our lives to proclaim joy, declaring the truth that all is well, even when it's not, because Jesus is here. Even despite the difficult seasons that we all find ourselves sometimes walking through, all is well, because Jesus is here. In just a moment, our band is going to come and they're going to lead us in one more song. And when they do, I'm going to encourage you to do one thing. I'm going to encourage you to sing with us. I'm going to challenge you to speak these words of truth over your life. Because if you're going through a difficult season, we need to remind our hearts that even in the most difficult of circumstances, all is well because Jesus has come to us. And if you're going through a good season in your life, our job is actually to sing out these words and to declare this truth over our families and the people that are surrounding us by allowing our joy to be evident to everybody else. Friends, there should be no group of people more excited and more joyful at Christmas than those who call them themselves followers of Jesus. Because whether you are filled with happiness today, as some of you are, or whether this season has been incredibly difficult for you. The truth of that first Christmas story is also true for us in 2023. All is well, because Jesus is here. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for sending your son. Jesus, I thank you that when you showed up on this earth, all was well. Everything changed, God, because you came to be with us. And so I think about my friends who are struggling in this season. God, I pray that they would 
Feel your presence in their lives, God, as they navigate loss. Would you be with them, God? Would you help them to declare joy, God, even in the midst of great difficulty, God? All is well because you are with us. And for my friends who are celebrating this Christmas season, God, would you help us to become people that declare your joy, to declare your love, God? May rooms change because of our presence in it, because we know you. Father, we thank you that you are always with us. You never leave us, and you fill us with great joy. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.